Hey guys, welcome back to the Nutrition Expedition. Before today's episode, we just wanted to say, we're not qualified specialists. If you have any issues, see a healthcare professional. The daily posts, including recipes, exercises, nutrition facts, and calorie comparisons, follow us on Instagram at The Nutrition Expedition. Peace. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to uh, the podcast. Um, today, we've got clinical psychologist Emma Hall on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, for the first question, I'd like to ask you, how did you become a clinical psychologist and through that, specialise in sport? Yeah, so I'm not actually a clinical psych. Um, I'm a sports sports psychologist. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> so, I, 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 yeah, that's my bad yeah. there because I've, I've researched that's right. and that's what came up. Sorry about that. Not, no, not a problem at all. Um, so in terms of sports psychology, um, I've got a pretty long history of involvement in sport throughout my life and I've a massive passion for sport, love it to this day. Um, I also grew up really interested in people and how they think um, and why they do the things they do, so human behaviour and general human nature. Um, once I got through my studies, I actually realised there was a way to meld the two and that was sports psychology, so I was pretty happy when I found that area. Something a little bit different as well. Um, also, the ability to work with people who are already um, really high functioning a lot of the time and doing really well to give them that opportunity to build up further and get the most out of themselves sort of reach their potential was something that really appealed cool yeah and uh we just like to ask you a question because you've got quite a different um story in the aspect that you're actually an athlete at one point in various sports um and that's translated and helped you a lot i'm I'm guessing into your career um could you just give us a little overview of your of your careers in different in different sports or um you know your athletic endeavor endeavors yeah sure so um as i say active from a very young age my first sport was swimming which i think happens for a lot of us here in australia mm-hmm. um so i was thrown in the pool pretty early um and loved it from day one so pretty quickly um i sort of progressed in the swimming side of things into squad swimming and competitive swimming there um i kept that going through to about year 11 um, and I sort of had to make a decision because I was kind of on the cusp of if I put a lot more hours in, I might be able to make some kind of career out of it or have a go um, versus what do I want to do in, in terms of kind of a longer term career in my study. Um, at that point in time, there weren't as many options um, as there are now for athletes. Athletes are much better supported in terms of um, developing their career and study options alongside their sport. Um, yeah, back at that time, it wasn't really an option. You kind of had to choose one or the other. Um, so at that time, I did choose my um, studies and my career because I wasn't 100% sure that I would make it as a swimmer. So I kept doing it sort of um, recreationally, but decided not to really pursue that any further. Um, I also was involved in athletics from around about 12 years old, um, started sort of in little athletics and then worked my way up from there, uh, mainly in the sprints and um, shot put and discus as well. Uh, I got up to a state level in that as well, um, really enjoyed it and then left off for a couple of years again to finish my final years of um, study. Picked up volleyball at uni, uh, got up to state league with that as well, um, but you know had had no um, I guess no desire to kind of pursue that any further. 
further. It was very much a social sort of thing at that stage. Um, and I guess more recently, I've kind of transitioned more into the fitness side of things. So um, as opposed to competitive sport, but around about um, probably five years ago now, I started doing something called aerial sports. Um, I guess the easiest thing to liken it to is circus. That's the thing that most people will recognize. Uh, so it's aerial hoops, aerial silks and pole. Uh, it's pretty challenging, and uh, the, in the last couple of years, they've started having competitions in this uh, Australia-wide competitions in, in those categories as well. So I started doing some of those more recently and, and got back into that um, competitive side of things. So it's been really fun. That's wow. really cool. I haven't really heard about that as a sport. And it, I, we were yeah, just mentioning, <laughs> like even last episode, we were just mentioning whatever exercise you want to do, just keep trying new things. And I, th- I think Absolutely. it's really cool that you got into something like that. Good on you. Yeah, it's really fun. So it's good. <laughs> so from a young age, you obviously were more in the individual side of sports rather than the team side. And then you got into volleyball, was it? Yeah, volleyball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did your psychology in terms of your mindset change from the individual to the team side? And what are some common differences you see in these athletes? Yeah, sure. I guess um, up at the... Well, not necessarily just up at the higher levels, but at, at, at all levels, really, there's obviously um, a level of competitiveness between players because you're competing for spots on the same team. Yeah. So if you play the same position as someone else, you're obviously going to kind of have to fight for that role. So there can be some healthy competition. And then as it moves up, sometimes that can become a bit overwhelming, depending how it's managed. Um, there's obviously the team dynamics issues as well. So how you get along with all of the other players and how the other players get along with each other. Um, the coaching staff and that kind of thing as well. So it's much more of a broader focus uh, in the team sport. You can't just be thinking selfishly about yourself and, and your own performance. You kind of have to be there to encourage and support your teammates as well. And if you happen to not be on the field of play at a particular time, you still have a really important role to play for your team. So, yeah, a little bit of a different focus. Oh, cool. Yeah, and just uh, before we continue... Uh, should I talk about the people that come to see you as your clients? What's the correct term? Yes. Clients? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Clients, okay. yeah. Um, so with your clients, what are the, some of the most um, common psychological issues you see uh, with athletes and some of the things they encounter throughout their you know career? Sure. So um, I guess sport obviously doesn't happen in a vacuum. So we get a lot of the things that happen with the general population that also apply to athletes. So things like um, anxiety and depression, for example, are are really just as commonplace in the athlete population. Um, Then some of the factors are for similar reasons. And then, of course, the pressures of their sport as well can add into that. So it's quite quite interesting. Um, If an athlete encounters a a serious injury uh, or um, an injury that keeps recurring, unfortunately, um, that can be really tough. So if that's their career, you can imagine not being able to do your job for a period of time and not knowing if you're going to be able to do your job in the future. Um, that can be pretty pretty harrowing. So that's something uh, that I spend a bit of time working on is that um, injury management, but also if, if athletes have to transition out of their sport, how they actually manage that because it's a big part of their um, identity is their sporting persona. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, definitely, interestingly, a lot of, you might not think this, but a lot of athletes actually lack confidence. They might sort of look on the outside like they're very, very confident, but oftentimes it's not actually the case. It's a little bit of a facade for some of them. So actually building up that genuine confidence and, and helping them 
to get their mind out of their body's way. Uh, so they're able to do their sport uh, as best as possible because they've practiced everything, you know, a thousand times. Um, and it's just getting the head out of the way, basically, because it's the mind that kind of talks you out of, of being successful a lot of the time, you can get into negative mindsets get stuck on mistakes and setbacks and, and not be kind of focused in the present moment. Um, I, I guess the other thing that comes along fairly often is people who are not consistently performing. So they're having one great competition and then they might be training okay and then the next competition they, they choke or they bomb <laughs> pretty badly. So it's trying to get that consistency of performance is, is also another big area of work. And what do you think is your main age group that you usually see? What's the most common? Uh, for, yeah, for me, I see a range. Um, I see some who are categorised as um, development athletes, so they're sort of a little bit younger. Um, those ones that I see, I used to work with much younger ones for sort of swimming and gymnastics, but now it tends to be more 16, 17-year-olds in those categories, um, and then right through to adults and masters competitors. So there's a fair range. Absolutely, and I've heard this saying, um, I think it was uh, Pat Rafter said back in the day that, um, you know, when you're 12 to 14, 15, it's that period where, uh, if you lose, you know, it's that sort of feeling of, oh, it's okay. As long as you're having fun, that's the sort of period. Yeah, and then once exactly. it gets to 16 and above, it sort of turns into more like, okay, this is where, you know, it gets a bit more serious and we need to start getting results. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this is sort of off the cuff question, but like, how does, you know, hormones, really affect people and you know that age is it's just crazy and with those sort of expectations from who you've seen is it really tough on those people um that are growing up in that environment with such high stresses uh, as opposed to a kid who might be eating chips playing video games on the on the couch <laughs> yeah for sure that's a good question um it can definitely be a pretty high pressure time it depends sort of on the people around them a lot as well in yeah. terms of whether they're being pushed in a positive way to, to reach their potential or whether they're being pushed because sometimes someone else wants to kind of live the dream through yeah, them. Yeah. That can sometimes happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it very much depends kind of what pressures they're under and also how much pressure they're putting themselves under because oftentimes, um, you know, kids that are very talented in their sport are also very competitive. They also tend to be quite perfectionistic. So they get very disheartened when they're not performing well. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of uh, pros and cons to that, I guess. You know, there's good things about perfectionism to a degree when it's measured. Um, but, yeah, it can also be quite damaging. So, And now on to a different side. What is the main psychological fundamentals that you believe can ensure that people maximise their performance? Sure. Um, so I guess these apply at any level of sport. So right from sort of... Um, the, the lower levels right through to elite sport, the principles are pretty much the same. It just depends the degree to which you employ them and the time that you have to employ them as well. Um, with any of the mental skills, uh, it's definitely about training your mental skills in the same way as you would your physical skills. So it's not a magic bullet by any means. These, these mental skills won't magically work on competition day if you haven't worked on them beforehand. It's like you wouldn't put on a... Um, a fresh pair of, of trainers and do a marathon if you hadn't worn them in. Same thing with your mental skills. You don't want to try something you've never tried before on competition day because there's just no guarantee that it's, it's actually going to work. It needs to be trained yeah, just like a physical skill. Mm. Um, so it's about consistently applying the skills both at training and competition and making sure that you're simulating competition as much as 
possible where you can so that you're in a similar mindset on a training day to then what you do on performance day because it's that consistency and, and your brain feeling like, oh, I've been here before, I'm comfortable, I know what I'm doing, I know I can do this. That's kind of what, what then leads to that better performance so you're not, you're not so anxious about it essentially. So having some routines in place to, to get that consistency. Um, mindset management is a big one. So looking at controlling the controllables and trying to let go of the rest. And, and staying in a, um, not necessarily a positive mindset because it's, it's not always possible to be in that space, but at least in a um, helpful and realistic mindset so that you're not in negative space. Um, and also finally, I guess, looking at managing your activation levels. So how kind of hyped up you are versus how relaxed you are and knowing yourself well enough as to where you need to be to perform at your best. Your, that's kind of brought up uh, a thought in my mind because Mateo and I went to a school that had quite a high rugby level and particularly the mm-hmm. firsts were really, uh, it was a big deal if you're in it and the games were massive, up to five, ten thousand 10,000 people would watch games. And yeah, wow. these players in the first, we, we'd see them and we were, some, some people were in boarding school or it was, some people weren't but some people were. And some, some of these athletes were staying up like till 2 a.m. the night before playing video games and then performing the next day. And then there was the other people who probably weren't as talented, but they focused on their mindset and ensured that was right. And they both performed, but after school, I, fe- I figured out these people that just relied on talent ended up going nowhere with their sport and these people that had their mindset screwed on from 16, 17, 18 continued to a high level. Do you see this commonly? Yeah, absolutely. Look, when you hit, it's that crucial kind of spot around that 16 years. It obviously varies a bit with different sports. Some sports are a bit later, like cycling, for example. Um, But around that sort of tipping point age, um, up to that point, talent can get you to most places, talent and ability, that natural kind of stuff. But when you start to then try to go up the ranks, that's when that mindset becomes absolutely crucial. So you'll see very big differences in in competitors um, around that time with the ones that are doing the work on the mental skills and the ones who just who aren't, who aren't yeah. focused on that. So yeah. yeah, it's a huge one. Absolutely, and and you mentioned this before, but just like it's a very very tough question to to answer and have a you know to put a lid on it, but. How should people with mental health issues in the first place really approach their competition and their mindset towards that? Because especially if they're competitive, like you said, it's, it comes with a level of perfectionism and it, it, it almost breeds people and kids that just never have a limit, you know what I mean? So how, yeah. how can you really, um, what are some ways that you know maybe parents can help their kids um, if they have mental health issues to also perform at a high level? Yeah, sure. Um, It is a tricky one, definitely, because sport and exercise um, for a lot of people is a stress relief and it it helps mood and it releases endorphins. So it's a really positive thing. But if you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself or there is a lot of pressure on you, then it can go the other way and it can actually become a very negative force in your life. So there's definitely a balance um, for the individual doing the sport it's about trying to build the self-awareness around their own tendencies. So if they know that if they put a heap of pressure on themselves and they don't perform as well as they'd like, then they crash in terms of mood. 
um, the first step is acknowledging that and knowing that that happens and then you can look to do something about it. If they're not aware of the kind of ups and downs and, and why they happen, then it's a lot harder to do anything about it. So that's kind of the first part is that, that education and awareness. Um, it's then around uh, managing expectations, both of the athlete and the people around them. So parents, family, etc. anyone else who's in that frame um, and trying to turn down the pressure uh, essentially on that person and in terms of their final outcome in performance. Focus more on the process. So look at training solidly, the benefits they get out of training really well and don't just focus on how they place in competition. That's a really, really important one. So have um, sort of rewards for things other than just winning or placing in a competition. Make sure there's other things that are just as important. Um, also developing other areas of themselves that don't involve competition, so other interests, other parts of their life, so it's not all hooked onto them as an athlete. Uh, make sure that they're active in other pursuits as well. That's, that's really, really important. Do you feel like mental health issues are not as commonly diagnosed for athletes as regular individuals that have the same issues? A good question as well. I think in more recent years, it's it's levelling up because as we know, um, mental health issues affect affect the whole population. It's, yeah. it's definitely not something athletes are immune from. And in some cases, they're more susceptible to them depending on the, the level of their sport and, and their lifestyle um, as a result of that. So I think, yeah, in recent years, it's, it's becoming more even because there's much more awareness around it. So if you look over the last few years, there's a lot more high-level athletes coming out and talking about their mental health um, issues, which, which is great because it normalises it and it is, you know, a really common um, thing across the population. So to have that happen is great. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's becoming something that's being talked about a lot better. There's a lot more support for athletes now in that space as well as the general population. So, yeah, I think it's the gap is closing, which is really good. I, I want to ask actually Matteo because Matteo played tennis at a high level. What was your thoughts about around mental health issues in terms of, do you think when you were playing, a lot of athletes were coming out with hearing, did you hear about all, all this stuff or uh, did you just not think anything of it? I, w- I mean, I can tell you honestly, because I was uh, around it all the time, around peers in, this, in sport and peers in other sports. Um, it was honestly quite, at my time, I mean, I'm, I'm talking like I'm 15. so old right now, but like <laughs> about six six seven eight years ago um it was more just pushed down i think it was it was very much like get over it and i feel like it's very similar to overtraining and you know training the right amount so like overtraining would be people are struggling for mental health issues and people will be like get over it same thing if you have a sore uh, sore leg sore arm people will be like walk it off get over it come on let's keep going yeah it's the same sort of thing like people would sort of suppress that um and just try their best to keep going until something crazy happens where they're just off the rails, you know? So, and that's why we, we see a lot of that happen in, in people of all sports. You see off the rails, things happen, you know, man, what's wrong with this guy or this girl? But yeah, in my opinion, it's not, you know, being in the spotlight or, or being at such a high level or training such a, a crazy amount of time can really affect people in ways that uh, people that don't grow up that way will never understand, quite frankly. So... Um, I think to answer your question, it was more just suppressed. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really talked about. It was more just get over it. Come on, let's keep going. I think that was the biggest thing. So there is a lot of, a lot of progress for sure. 
Yeah, I think it's the, the issues have always been there yeah. and they yeah. will always be there. Exactly. They're prevalent, definitely. Um, and yeah, you're quite right. It was it was kind of frowned upon to talk about that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, back in, in a way, because it, it shows in a way, because in a lot of sports, you don't want to be giving away anything to your opponent. Uh, yeah. Back then, it wasn't really much social media, but like if you're talking in person, people, man, people are brutal. People will do whatever they need to do to win yeah. a match. You know, if you say you struggle under pressure, people will be yelling at you from the other side of the court, like trying to get in your head. It's just as much mental as it is yeah. physical. So, um, people don't care about anyone else. You know, you yeah. just want to do the best you can. Quite frankly, most people do. So, it's not that crazy. It's not a bad person if they want. If you know, if they take, uh, if they if they just do what they can to win, but. I mean, people will take advantage of it. So you don't want to really want to talk about it with your, with your peers. That's a big thing, though, yeah. for sure. And yeah, one especially more thing. up at those high levels, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And another thing that kind of sparked my thought is because I've been seeing Israel Folau linked back to NRL. A lot of, yeah. I think, another <laughs> social issue is uh, gay athletes because people, like NRL, there's no one that, there's, I think there's one, one or two people that have come out as gay. No one, like... When you think about how many people there are, that there's bound to, bound be, to be gay players, yeah. not just one, <laughs> but um, t- 10, 20, 30. Uh, and I feel like that's still what mental health was probably 10 years ago, just yeah. pushed under the rug and yeah. no one wants to say anything. What's your thoughts on that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's an interesting comparison. I mean, obviously completely different um, spheres, yeah. but... In terms of the attitude towards it, I think, yeah, there can be some parallels drawn for sure. And I, I hope that, you know, whilst it has improved, um, I think it's a, there's a hell of a long way to go uh, to make people feel more comfortable in just being themselves, essentially, and, yeah. and feeling like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are as long as you perform, yeah. you know, that's great. It really yeah. doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it'll hopefully continue to to improve the attitude towards that and people will feel more comfortable to, to just be gen- be able to be genuine um, yeah, and feel have, comfortable we, doing and, that. And quite honestly, we have no idea how much that sort of stuff really takes an impact on people's performance as yeah. well. So um, we can't really talk. Yeah. When, when people are starting to underperform, you can't really be like, oh, this is the reason, this is the reason. Everyone reckons they're an expert the day after something happens. So, um, yeah. But just to move <laughs> on more to the, the competition base now, um, sure. a, big, a big thing... Uh, when I was younger and I was preached to about this and, and it's a big thing is visualization and the power of visualization before you go out and compete. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I, I know majority, a lot of people believe in it. Um, and I, I tell you what, a lot of people that believe in it end up doing very well. So, I mean, there's, there must yeah. be something to it. So what are your thoughts on, on visualization, uh, more specific before competition? Sure. Uh, I think it's one of a, suite of tools that definitely is very useful it's not the be all and end all if that's the only mental skill you practice then you're probably not using everything to 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 its best effect but amongst you know a suite of tools it's really really useful um the reason that um visualization or imagery mental imagery works is it actually fires the same pathways in the brain as when you physically do a movement so if you imagine yourself for example executing the a really good tennis serve, it fires those same pathways as if you were physically performing it, obviously at a much lower level. Um, But it also creates a sequence in your brain, a sort of a video clip, I guess you would say, of you executing that skill successfully. So then when you step up to do it, 
your brain sees that video playing and more often than not, it will play out. So, for example, if, um, and this has happened to me before as well, if um, you step up to, say, do that serve and in your head flashes up an image of you hitting it into the net because that's what you did just before in your last training session, more often than not, that will actually happen mm-hmm. and play out. So you've got to be really careful to play in your mind and focus on what you want to happen, not what you don't want to happen or what you want to avoid. So, yeah, there's definitely a basis to visualisation and it, it's been proven through research to speed up skill acquisition. So if you're changing or adjusting a skill or learning a skill, um, if you visualise the correct technique and yourself doing that correct technique before you execute it um, consistently as part of your training, it does actually have a really, really good effect. Um, similarly, players who are injured are often now encouraged to use uh, mental rehearsal imagery visualisation or kind of similar similar things um, when they're not able to physically perform in their sport because it just keeps those mental connections fresh. Keeps, yeah. um, keeps them sort of their head more in the game. So. And, and Emma, you would have heard this a thousand billion times, I'm, I'm sure of it, but it's the whole example of don't think of a pink elephant, don't think of a pink elephant. Yeah, and then what are you <laughs> exactly. Think of a pink elephant? So it's the same thing. If you think yep. don't hit this in the exactly. net, don't hit it in the net, you most likely will. So yeah. yeah. And it's happened to all of us if yeah. we think about our, our in sports anything, involvement yeah. at whatever level. I'm pretty sure everyone can identify a time where that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> so say there's an athlete listening and they, for whatever reason, struggle with visualisation or don't want to do it. it. What's some other tools that they could used to prepare for competition or a game or whatever it is? Yep, so aside from visualisation, there's there's a heap of other stuff. So you can look at, um, I mentioned before, uh, getting some pre-performance routines together and that helps with consistency. So you work out in the lead up to a performance what factors help you to perform better and that's anywhere through from physical warm-up to if you're listening to music or a podcast or whatever works for you, um, the food that you're eating, your hydration, um, what you're thinking about when you switch on to your performance, when you're taking some time out and and maybe trying to relax, all those kind of things, Um, putting that into a consistent kind of checklist that you do ideally before each training session as as much as possible. But, yeah, um, absolutely before your competition, that can be really helpful as well. Yeah, and uh, just to move on to your career, uh, just like to ask what we've talked about plenty of different issues and mental, um, psychological issues that people endure before uh, performing. But what more specifically, if you would like to share, are some of the you know the the battles you had before competition, um, or in your days of competing uh, mentally before that you might have learned some you might have learned some uh, some lessons from those things. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think my biggest challenge was managing my anxiety on competition day. Uh, I was one of those athletes who would be physically sick before performance because I was so wound up and so nervous about performing well, you too. (laughs) It's so common, like people don't realise, yeah, how how anxiety and and the way that your mind is, is playing inside your head can actually manifest in those really physical reactions. And it's a genuine nausea. It's, it's an awful feeling. Um, so unfortunately, back when I was performing, I didn't really have any knowledge of, of sports psychology. So all I knew um, to do was to kind of try to just sit down and calm myself, do some deep breathing, have, have some water. But that was about it. Um, I didn't really know what else I could do. So I guess I wish I knew now 
sorry, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I think I could have definitely kind of put a circuit breaker and a lot of that stuff and, and had a, a more pleasant experience in the lead up to competition. Now let's move on to some other sides of your work and sure. you, is it true that you deal with people not only that are athletes but people in life crises or healthy, oh, encountering health issues or substance abuse? Like where did that idea to help people stem from? Uh, yeah, I guess I've, I've worked across, well, sports psych is my specialisation and my passion. Um, I've worked across a number of different areas and still continue to now as well, just to keep a sort of a balance. Um, we train as psychologists first before we specialise, so everyone sort of has those general skills and then we figure out, okay, well, what kind of populations do we want to work with? What kind of work do we want to do? So um, some of the stuff like the drug and alcohol side, the... the um, the crisis management, that side of things, I did a little bit earlier on just to see where my niche was, like what I enjoyed and, and what parts I wanted to do um, and do something challenging and different as well. And then I guess in more more recent years, um, I've done a bit more work in yeah, general counselling, so kind of anxiety and depression, mood management, that kind of stuff, um, but also in career coaching and career transition, um, general kind of resilience building as well for people. Uh, so yeah, there's, a, there's kind of a few different areas and I guess I just enjoy, uh, you know, whatever space people are in, helping them move forward to a better space. So mm -hmm. whether that is looking at reaching your potential in your sport or potential in your career or being, um, feeling like you're in a happier place just with yourself in your life in general. Um, it, it doesn't really matter to me as long as the people that I see leave in a, a better place to when they kind of got started yeah absolutely and and i just want to ask before we ask the next question that we've actually written down just another question that i'm just thought of but how do you as a psychologist how do you balance empathy as well as you know the mentality of let's get through this and let's start planning to move forward um because it's quite a tricky yeah. thing you don't want to push that boundary too much where like it's like okay let's keep going and then people are very yeah. You know, it's obviously there's some things that are very tough to, to, to really get past. So how do you sort of balance yeah. that as a psychologist and, and how tough is it for you to do that? Yeah, look, it, it can be tough. It depends definitely, obviously, on the individual and, and the kind of issues that they're facing um, and also on their personality type because some people get very stuck in terms of what's happening for them at the moment and they feel very helpless very quickly, like they're spinning their wheels and what can I possibly do to change this? They feel like... They don't have any control over their situation and if it's someone in that space it's trying to move them from that into a space where they understand that there are still things that they control no matter how little um, and to start to get some control over those things so that they can build on that um, it is definitely important not to push someone um, too hard for sure so you've got to always have that empathy basis uh, but also you need to be frank with people uh, when you can see that there are patterns emerging and, and if they're going back to, say, past patterns of thinking and, and we've talked about that and, and we've got some strategies to, to move and shift those, then it's just gently kind of reinforcing and reminding about that and saying, okay, let's let's try this again um, and, and move forward with that. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a tightrope <laughs> for sure. Yeah, sounds like it. And in your work, you obviously would uh, hear a lot of negative energy and that's basically part of your work. How do you separate the negative energy to not come on yourself and 
like you hold that negative energy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, another really good question. So basically how I switch off from my, my work, yeah. um, particularly if it's been a, a tough session or a tough day or whatever the case is, um, I guess I put in place strategies that I recommend to my clients as well to be able to switch off because everyone needs to be able to switch off from various things. Um, so I'll always make sure that I have a bookend on my work day and what I mean by that is I'll go out for a walk or I'll go play with my dog or I'll, um, you know, go sit outside in the sun. Uh, I'll do something for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes at least at the end of my work day that kind of signals that's it for work. Um, and if you do that regularly, your brain starts to realise that when you do that activity, it's switch off time. So that's you cool. can kind of park whatever you were working on yeah. um, and you know that you, you can come back to it the next day if you need to. It's not about forgetting it or suppressing it or anything like that. It's just putting it to the side and putting your focus onto the things that are now um, important to you. Because obviously you have to live your life as well. Um, and you're no good to anyone if you're getting bogged down in everyone's stuff too. You've got to yeah. be able to sort of put that to the side. Yes, yeah, it's, well. it's the equivalent of someone in, in an office shutting that book, you know, and just, and just pushing it away for the weekend and then coming back yeah, to work exactly. on Monday. But I can understand completely how you would need to implement some strategies like that to really switch your mind off because yeah. it can be quite... Yeah. Um, taxing on your health, you know. Yeah, to, to be it can be quite of, overwhelming, and yeah, especially I think, I think through COVID, doing everything online was yeah. was even more challenging, to yeah. be honest. Um, and probably spending a lot more hours actually consulting with people mm. than if you were seeing them face to face. You might have a few more breaks in your day. So, um, so yeah, things like that. Um, exercise is a big one for me as well. Making sure I get my um, exercise every day, and that's a, an absolute outlet and a, a chance to switch off from anything that's going on too. Yeah, absolutely. And just to finish off, well, this is one of our last questions, but um, to go back to the you know sort of athlete side of things, uh, you mentioned there's some some parents that live vicariously through their their kids' lives and the sports and, <laughs> yeah. their, um, and their careers. But there's also some families that are very supportive, and you know will will sort of absolutely support their kids no matter what they or, or athletes whatever they do whatever they choose to do. Um, what are some of the best tips you've sort of given or strategies you've given to parents when you've come into contact uh, as to how to support those, uh, I won't say kids all the time, but kids and, you know, young adults um, or athletes in general. Yeah, Yeah, so look, the first, um, if if they're coming to see myself or another professional, that's a great step already because already there must have been some kind of conversation about what's going on. And it doesn't always mean that the client being the athlete or the individual is 100% willing to come and and talk, but at least they've shown up. You know, it's a good start. So we can start that process. Um, It's about keeping the communication open between um, the members of the family, or at least one member of the family, a trusted, the most trusted person for that individual, the one they feel most comfortable with. Um, And I guess also helping to educate um, everyone involved about, again, normalising these mental health issues because they are so common that you know there's nothing to be ashamed about it's mm. like going to going to the doctor if you've broken your arm you wouldn't hesitate you know same thing yeah. if you notice change significant changes in your mood or you just feel feeling flat all the time go see someone about it. it shouldn't be seen any different so it's about yeah normalizing keeping the communication open um trying to help the support person to to provide as much non-judgmental support as they can so just kind of that gentle i'm here to listen you know i'm not going to judge you know what do you mean you're feeling depressed again today what's the problem shake out of it 
that's not what we want. <laughs> we yeah. want we want the support and the validation um, to be coming from the people around them as well, and, and then assisting them in um, where to go for resources, where to find helpful, whether it's apps, reading, um, you know, whatever might be helpful for them. Um, is really important and also for that support person to be willing to accompany them if they want to any you know appointments that they they might find helpful so just being a general kind of support for them and and not questioning why they might feel like doing some things and why they might not feel like doing others or why they're feeling the way they are just being there as sort of a set of open ears yeah great and what's something you've one thing that you've found interesting or fascinating that you've learned this week um, I've actually been watching, I don't know about this week, but over the last couple of weeks maybe, I've been watching with interest the way that different tennis players here um, mm. that are here for the Australian Open have coped or not coped so well <laughs> with the, uh, the conditions of quarantine to come in, um, you know, to play that tournament. So I've just found it very fascinating in terms of um, how some of, and obviously we don't know about all of them, you only see some stories, but how some of them have approached it very quickly seemingly very quietly and just got on with it and said, yeah, well, I decided to come, so this is what I need to do and I'll do it. Um, whereas others have made that decision to come and then sort of kicked up a, a really big fuss about the conditions that they're now finding themselves in. Um, and I guess, yeah, I just, I, I find it really interesting to kind of sit back and look at how different personalities and different people are dealing with that and whether they're keeping it quite private or making it quite yeah. public. Oh, good one. Yeah, and that's, the case is, so. that's that's what you hear in the media, and I can assure you, I've heard some stories of stuff way way worse of what this year. I'm sure, yeah. From behind the scenes, I've heard stories uh, from people, very reputable sources, that some stuff, some people are trying some things that is just like, oh my goodness, um, but never, yeah. you know. <laughs> Anyway, um, so move back onto the podcast um, and to stop crapping on my own sport. Um, uh, just, yeah, we like to ask our guests at the end of every uh, episode, what's one tip that you would suggest to improve uh, our listeners' health in any way? Well, uh, I guess my biggest tip that I always come back to is invest some, invest some uh, time into making sure that you're getting good sleep. Because if you're fatigued physically and mentally, it affects everything. Your mood is down, you're irritable with people, uh, you don't feel refreshed, everything's a struggle. You don't feel like cooking you know, good meals for yourself. Uh, you don't feel like engaging with people, you're not fully present. So it's just, it, it's so all encompassing that, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is sleep issues are so common. Again, if it's something that you're not great with, go see someone about it. It's so easy to fix. Like it's, it, it can absolutely be fixed. It's a habit-based behaviour, so it's really easy to fix. Um, I see loads of people about their sleep issues and, you know, in a matter of one session and a few weeks of them practising some stuff, um, they're back on track and, and just feeling 100 times better. So, yeah, sleep, don't underestimate how important it is. So crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And now yeah. I'd like to give you a chance to let the listeners know where they can find you, what some of the services you provide, and that, like, who, who you can help out. Yeah, sure. So I'm um, Melbourne-based, but um, one of the uh, few positives of COVID has been, of course, the, the advent of online consulting. So I do quite a bit of 
my um, session work now on an online platform, which means obviously um, people who are anywhere in the world literally can can access a session, which is fantastic. Um, So I'm still practicing face-to-face in Melbourne again now, but I'm still doing quite a lot of online work. Uh, As I I mentioned before, um, I do general counselling, anxiety, depression, personal growth, that kind of thing as well, Uh, career counselling, obviously the sports psychology side of it, so enhancing performance, whether you're in sport or the performing arts or anything that requires, you know, uh, good performance, which includes career stuff, Um, and and behaviour change as well, so making healthy behaviour changes for people starting exercise, for example, changing eating habits, that kind of stuff um, can support with too. Um, and in terms of where you can find me, uh, this is always a fun one because my, my business name is, is very interesting. It's my middle name, um, which is Vashti with a V. So it's Vashti Performance Services. Um, and if you Google that, you should be able to find me. And yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the <laughs> we'll um, description because I think a few people might struggle with uh, typing that out just off yes. hearing it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we just, might need a little... Um, a little visual there or, or it to be typed out somewhere yeah we'll, sure. we'll put it in the link below in just, description. <laughs> just one question before we let you go right. what where uh yeah. you have two pretty traditional names in terms of emma and hall where did uh vashti yes. come from so vashti it's it's i've actually got two very interesting middle names um Nuala and oh, vashti wow. um my parents thought they'd give me a pretty easy set of kind of standard names so that I wouldn't have any trouble, you know, spelling them out or anything. Especially at school. Although you'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and then they thought, hey, I'll give her a couple of really interesting middle names so that if she gets bored with her other names, she can pick one of those and just be really different. Oh, wow, so, cool. Well, look, yeah. you put it and made it your business name, so there you go. Exactly, I've been using it, so it's good. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, thanks so much for today, Emma. Seriously, thanks so much for your time, and it's been really really cool to pick your brain and and get some insight into what you sort of share with some athletes and and, uh, what your views are and what sort of strategies and services you provide for them. So it's really been a pleasure, and thanks so much for coming on. Great, it's been really fun chatting. Thanks, guys. No No worries. worries, and we'll see you guys next week.